Fourth of July, everybody. This is Manuel Ramirez, and welcome to another episode of the Fusion Underground. I'm going to go ahead and, uh, for those of you that are watching, I'm going to go ahead and uh, I'm going to stop sharing there. And so now you can see us. Oh my gosh! And I am joined, as always, in our virtual studio by my lovely co-host, Jason Moret. How are you doing, brother? I'm good, brother. How are you doing? I'm doing well. Happy Fourth to you. Yes, happy 4th of July. So while we're, while we're recording, there might be explosions going off in the background. Those are fireworks outside my backyard. So I live on a, in the neighborhood that I live in, there's a street that comes right behind me. <clears throat> and there's a little cul-de-sac right there that comes up against my house. And they've been out there for the last hour or so firing off all kinds of fireworks. I'm really surprised that my little dog doesn't, isn't bothered by him. <laughs> just a little popping it's it's used to it he was running around the backyard and he's like running around and spinning around chasing his tail and he's like i don't care you know and there's some there, there's some pretty big boomers going off down the street and yeah. he's like yeah whatever um he don't he don't care so uh but it is fourth of july when we're recording so happy fourth of july to everybody um for all of those who are patriotic loving americans happy fourth for all of you who are not uh, patriotic loving Americans. Well then, um, happy fourth to you too. Happy Saturday. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> happy Saturday. All right. Well, we're at, uh, what episode is this? Is this episode nine now? I think this is, episode I, I nine. think it might be nine. Yeah. Episode nine here at the fusion underground where we try to make sense of the world by having principled discussions about such topics as entertainment, current events, politics, and culture. Our mission is to educate people to become critical thinkers so they can live more empowered and happier lives. You can catch all of our RSS feeds over at fusionunderground.net. We're also on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash AZ fusion underground. You can check out this video on YouTube. If you're not already watching it there um, on BitChute as well, <clears throat> excuse me. And you can catch the, um, the actual audio version of the show off of Anchor, Breaker, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Radio Public, and Stitcher. You can just, if you do a search on any kind of uh, audio podcasting software that you might have on your phone or, you know, whatever, um, we should come up and it should find our RSS feed and you can start listening to it. And as always, feel free to send us email at contact at fusionunderground.net or just uh, post on our Facebook page. We'd love to hear from you and talk about all that. We are starting to pop up on those searches. It's kind of neat. Yeah, isn't it? I put it in my yeah. phone and yeah. I was like, oh, look, like, uh, I, I, what is the pot? Uh, I, I have a specific Beyond Pod. I have a very specific application that I use on my phone called Beyond Pod. And uh, if, you, if you do a search um, for Fusion Underground, 
like if you go in and you say add new feed and you just do a general for search for Fusion Underground, it actually pops up. Um, and like if I hit, boom, and there, there we are. There it is right there. <laughs> and then you can just that's hit subscribe. So yeah, that's, pretty uh, that's, that's pretty cool. Um, so you don't actually have to go out to the, to the webpage or to Facebook if you don't want to, and you can still catch us there. So, uh, so yeah. So there's that. So what did you do today for the fourth? I didn't do anything. Oh my gosh. I, I did a lot of chores. I was, uh, I was being a patriotic American and mowing my lawn and keeping up my, my yard and cleaning up dog poop and cleaning my garage. But, uh, actually it was a lot of fun. My daughter was out helping me a lot today. She's, um, she's kind of my right hand man. Um, when mm. it comes to doing a lot of chores and stuff outside, she loves being right next to me and it, it just, it makes it fun. So yeah. 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 Well, I grilled. We can't really do anything here in Arizona because uh, for those of you who are unaware, um, for like the, the one listener who's not in Arizona listening to the show, <laughs> <laughs> if you live in Arizona, everything's locked down. So yeah. uh, we went back on lockdown because COVID numbers were spiking. We're going to talk a little bit about that. Um, and so because they were, because the state has been closing everything down and basically telling everybody hunker back in, in, in your homes, the whole state of Arizona is celebrating Independence Day under the threat of government lockdown. Isn't that fantastic? Irony. Yeah. It's, that is a, it's exciting. Irony. Yeah. 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 So crazy. Yeah. Crazy. Uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, it's bitter. It's, it's a bitter topic right yeah. now. It's a very weird 4th of July. It, it is. It doesn't feel like it. You know, up here, it's really, it really kind of stinks because um, normally we'd be in the parade. We've been in the parade for, quite a few years now. Now um, explain that daughter, when you say we, is that just you, your daughter, your son, and your wife walking in the parade? So we usually go with the Masonic Lodge here in town. Um, they have a float and we walk in the parade for that. Um, last couple of years we've done that as well as either for my work or other organizations. I mean, um, my work was supposed to get a float, so to speak, in the parade this year, um, but that got canceled. They're doing a virtual parade which don't even ask me what that is, but it's, you watch it and it's basically like rolling advertisements and I, I'm just not interested. So yeah, that doesn't sound like, um, no. So we didn't all. do that. Um, there's no fireworks display of course here because in order to set off fireworks, people will gather and people right. aren't allowed to gather right now, unless you're protesting, then you're free to gather without any mask or protection at all because nobody wants to, you know? Yeah. Yeah, I don't want to talk about that either. But um, so yeah, it's just really bizarre. And Tabitha's, uh, my I'm sorry, my wife's grandfather, um, his birthday is 4th of July, and he just turned 83. And we could have gone down to see him, but Phoenix has become such a hotbed of coronavirus, it's almost not even worth it. And yeah. so yeah, it was just, it's really awful. Yeah, it's uh, it's kind of crazy. We're gonna. I have a couple of little uh, tidbits that I want to share, that I want to talk about um, regarding COVID, especially here in the here in Arizona, <clears throat> um, and generally and generally speaking, we'll get into that in a, in a little bit. Um, but before we do, I actually have a funny for you. What a funny? Do. I have uh, one of those cleanser pa cl uh, palate cleansers, as we call them. I could so use that right now. Yeah, so I've Couldn't got one of those little palate cleansers. So we're in, a, uh, we're in a Sam's Club. Yeah, this is a Sam's Club. 
<laughs> no, no, I have to admit, this is so juvenile. This is <laughs> so for those of okay. you that, that can't that are not watching this on, on YouTube or BitChute, uh, somebody is in it looks like a Sam's Club, could be a Costco for all I know. No, um, it's a Sam's Club. Is it a Sam's Club? You you know, I can tell by the, just, the pizza? just by the pizza sign, the pizza sign. I... <laughs> So um, just to set the stage, so this is a Sam's Club, and there's going to be a guy who comes up, and there's a there's a post here, uh, well, a pillar that holds up the the, the roof, and uh, if you can't see, if you're not seeing this, so this this uh, gentleman's going to walk up. I should I'm, I shouldn't really refer to him as a gentleman. You'll probably understand that in just a second, but he's walking up to this post and he's going to do something, um, and uh, so yeah, just uh, give it a listen. All and right. it is very, very juvenile. you know like walk into it or smash his face on it i i did not expect him to grab the overhead intercom <laughs> and fart on it. <laughs> oh you know the funniest part about this is my I, next time my wife go and i go into sam's club from here into perpetuity she is going to give me the dirtiest look when i see that because now there's almost no way i'm not gonna try it <laughs> oh my god and you can hear it just echo. the echo <laughs> oh my gosh Oh, I needed that. Thank oh you. Thank you so much. Oh. Whew. Oh my god, that was funny. <laughs> oh. I had I think I watched that like 10 times when I found that. It was just so funny. Oh my god. And he looks like he's about 60. He's not like it's not like some 12-year-old went up there and did that. He's like, he's like 60, yeah, right? and he's just and I don't know if you can I, t see his face. I cannot <laughs> wait until I read, because this is only a, a, a handful of years off for me before uh -huh. I reach this age where I get to be that guy. Because you know, yeah. dang good and well, the other, there's other people in the store, employees. Yeah. What are they going to do? Go up and tell that old man, hey, old guy no farting on the intercom okay <laughs> we've talked about this this is the third time you've done that <laughs> he's got this face just oh, i'm sorry <laughs> oh gosh oh man yep those days are coming that's good stuff isn't it 
That's Woo. good stuff. Man. Just too funny. Oh, my God. Yeah. So that. So I, you know, I found one for you. So cheers. Yeah, cheers. Thank you very much. Mm-hmm. Uh, man, now I can go to bed happy. Yeah. And hopefully that won't get flagged for copyright. Oh, probably will. Who knows? So. Maybe the sound is actually uh, copyrighted <laughs> by somebody out there. Goodness gracious. Or maybe because we said Sam's Club. So I'm going to do it five more times. Sam's Club, Sam's yeah. Club, Sam's Club. Maybe that'll trigger YouTube to copyright us. Yeah. Or something, you know, throw some kind of a flag on there. So, oh, okay. yeah, that's, an- that's annoying. Anyway, so there's actually a lot of stuff that's been, uh, that's been going on. I've been dying to talk to you about. Okay. Um, now, for those listening, we've been kind of hemming and hawing about how we're actually going to carry out this entire episode. So um, it's actually kind of an interesting uh, flow of events. I don't know if it's just because it's 4th of July. It's a weird 4th of July. Is, is it a full moon or was that yesterday? I don't remember. Uh, no, I think that was yesterday. Well, I don't know. Close it's still enough. pretty. It's still pretty darn full. Yeah. Um, let's just call it that. Um, so yeah, I don't know if it's. I don't know if it's full today or if it was yesterday or if it's tomorrow. But it's pretty bright out there at night right now. I don't know if it's all that stuff. So, you know, we usually do a topic. Mm-hmm. We usually talk about a specific topic and we kind of debate it around and everything. And this week's topic was actually going to be rites of passage in society. And I think we're still going to, you know. I think we're still going to talk about that rites of passage. Yeah. And it's, it's important. I think um, whether there's the presence or lack thereof or what those rites of passage are. So I, I think there, it's a worthy topic of discussing and how it affects us as a society. And interestingly enough, I think the, there is a tie in with other social groups, especially ones out there right now who are gaining more and more support. And then I think there could be a link to, the lack thereof. Yeah, I would, I would agree to, I would agree. And so, so I think we'll, we'll talk, we'll talk a little bit about it. We'll kind of get into that and unpack that a little bit. What's interesting is because of now we didn't think about this before when we were, you know, when we were first kicking around this, this as an idea, this was weeks ago, this was two weeks or two months, two and a half. Three months it's, ago? It's, this was one of the, the very first topics we initially discussed, I think. Yeah, it was one of the very first topics that we, that we thought about on our, on our overall podcast roadmap. Um, so it's been over two months uh, since we came up with this idea. And so that was before all of the, all of the rioting and the protests were going on. <clears throat> and um, you were the one who actually brought up the idea to have this particular topic. And I don't think you were thinking about any kind of protesting or rioting or anything no no not not even close right not even close um protesting rioting burning down um, buildings people get i mean that was that was so far out of the realm of possibility even at the time to really be right at the forefront of our our thought process right so we're not talking we're not going to talk about that because of the protest but i think it has a very interesting uh effect on on things like the protest, especially among youth, right? We, we see mm-hmm. this among, yep. you know, really among like college, college age, uh, young adults. Um, and so I think, I think we'll, we'll get into that a little bit more as we get into that topic. Um, but before we do, we've got a, there's a couple of other things I want to, I want to bring everybody up to speed on. For those of you who are, who do not watch the news, there's some interesting developments going on. 
um, just, I think it was just today. <clears throat> yeah, just today. Uh, <clears throat> gosh, excuse me. I feel like I have a frog stuck in my throat. Anyway, <clears throat> ah, hopefully that's better. Sorry to cough in your ear. <laughs> all right. <clears throat> if you get the um, Rona, we all know. Right. Anyway, a couple of hours ago, Kanye West. Now, you know who Kanye West is, right? Yeah, unfortunately. Yeah, Kanye West announced that he's running for president this year. Oh, super. We have an alternative. Yeah, so we've got Joe Biden, we've got Kanye West, and we've got Donald Trump running for president. Now, now for many states, Kanye West cannot get officially onto the ballot. So he's actually, you know, he has to run as an independent, as an independent. I think he's running as an independent across the board. Um, so in, in many states, he'll be on the ballot. Uh, assuming that all of this goes through, assuming all of this is not some kind of farce or some kind of media stunt, which it's Kanye West. I mean, I, yeah, I don't know. <clears throat> I, I don't know. It, it could be a media stunt. Remember, because when was it? Uh, 20, what's it? 2014, 2012, the 2012, I think it was when, when Donald Trump said he was first going to run for president. He stayed in for quite a while and then he bowed out right before the primary started. So I, who knows? I don't know if this is going to be, if this is a media stunt, I don't know if Kanye West is, is serious or not. <clears throat> well, um, well, for Kanye, everything is serious, <laughs> whether it's a big joke to everyone else or not. Right, right. What's interesting, though, the first thing that popped into my head that I thought mm -hmm. about when I, when I heard the news, when I read it on social media, um, I couldn't help but think about what message that is sending to, to the Democrats, to the Democrat Party. Um, because the Democrats, they tend to view <clears throat> all African-Americans as being a singular voting block for the Democrats. Sure. Um, and that has been the case for a number of years. <clears throat> There's reason why the Democrats think that, and that's because the vast majority of African-Americans in this country, the vast majority of blacks do vote Democrat across the board. Mm -hmm. Now, if you're a Democrat if you're a Democrat strategist, obviously, you're going to be a little nervous about this. Kanye West has now all of a sudden declared that he's running. Is this a, is this a ploy to pull a, to pull a lot of the black vote away from Joe Biden? Uh, if you're a Democrat strategist, obviously, you've got to be a little concerned right now and thinking, does this give well, it's, Trump it's not, a clearer it, path to the White House? In, in, in all actuality, yes. <clears throat> yes, it does. 100%. Because I, you're not going to, and this is my editorial, um, you're not going to pull Republican votes from Donald Trump for Kanye West. Very you're unlikely. Not, you are not going to pull independent voters who voted for Donald Trump to Kanye West in enough of a, a mass to really make a difference. Right. The only right. place you're going to be pulling votes from is going to be from the Democratic base. So, yes, it hurts Joe Biden. Um, it doesn't help Kanye because he's not going to get enough votes to win. He's not going to win. Or whatever. Yeah. Um, and, yes, you, you are clearing a path for Donald Trump if, yeah. that is, if, that, uh, if he does stay in. Now, Democratic strategists out there will tell you that they don't think that that's likely, and I think they're probably right. So what I'm guessing is probably going to happen is he's going to um, pencil whip as many votes as he possibly can right up until election time and then 
publicly endorse Joe Biden and want all of his voters to go vote for him because what he's likely going to be able to do that Joe can't right now is enthuse, get some enthusiasm behind the young Democratic base out there who is not enthused by Joe Biden whatsoever. Very well, few people are. Well, I think <clears throat> what's interesting about this is, is Kanye West is a huge Trump supporter. He's, he's a big Trump supporter. He's been, for the last two years, he's come out. I mean, he's been to the White House a number of times. Mm -hmm. um, he's said very openly that he's a supporter of, of President Trump. Many Democrats excoriated him over that. And he, he came back and said, no, I'm a free thinker. I think the way that I want, don't be controlled by it. Uh, Kanye West has been out there among the black population telling them, you know, you're, you're your own person. Go vote. You don't have to vote like a you know, the way that a political party demands that you vote as a voting block, uh, which is absurd. It is. And he's right. I mean, he is right in that regard. The blacks that should is not, a true statement. Absolutely. Right. Blacks should not just be, you know, go out and vote in mass as, as a Democrat. I'm not, or for the Democrats, I'm not saying they shouldn't vote for Democrats. I'm just saying that they, they shouldn't be looked at as a uh, singular voting block. But, you know, that's our state of our politics. We do that anyway now. So, sure, sure. Um, but it'll be interesting to see what happens. I, I mean, 2020 is just, it's clown world. Um, it, it is. It's clown world marching to a tune with big <laughs> floppy feet and red nose and Hong Kong 2020. Yeah, it's, um, it's a little crazy. Um, yeah, it, and, and anybody out there living in Flavortown, um, USA. Right. <laughs> I got to tell you, it's if you think that's the craziest thing going to happen to you in the next couple of years, just <laughs> buckle up, Buttercup, because it's not going to get any better than this. Yeah, yeah, and, and it'll really be interesting to see what the media is like over the next couple of weeks over this, because I, I'm sure they're going to be throwing the media is going to be throwing a lot of attention over to Kanye West. Um, I mean, he's a he's a name. He's a big entertainer. Uh, I don't buy his music, but uh, I don't have to buy his music, but he is a big entertainer out there. And I think the media is going to be, they're going to be giving him a lot of interview. They're, you know, they're going to be interviewing him, wanting to talk to him. It's going to pull a lot of press, I think, away from Donald Trump and certainly from Joe Biden. I think, I think with as much negative press that Trump gets, I think Trump will be perfectly fine with it um, going forward, at least for the, t for the time being. But Trump has a way of creating his own media when he needs to and or wants to. Sure. So I don't think it's, I don't think it's going to uh, to impact him all that drastically. But if you're a Democrat strategist, you got to be a little worried or you got to be a little concerned. And and all of a sudden, this throws a huge wrench into your your plans. I, I think it was just yesterday, uh, the Democrats, the the um, not the not the Democrats per se, but Biden's Biden's campaign said that they're going to cancel the rest of his campaign rallies or not. He's not going to do any campaign rallies. There was a story like two days ago or maybe three days ago saying uh, that the camp will not release his cognitive tests because Biden a couple of days ago was asked about his cognitive faculties. Mm -hmm. And he says, he said during, a, during an interview that he, uh, or it was his press conference that he had a few days ago, he said several times that he gets that he was tested. He's always getting tested. Well, if you say you've been tested cognitively, then that means, well, where's the results? And mm -hmm. so I think journalists were naturally starting to ask the camp, the campaign, well, what are the results of these things, of, of these cognitive tests? And they've said, we're not going to release them. 
which tells me that they're they're not. They, I'm not saying they're they're terrible, but they're not as good as they probably would like. I think if they were off the charts awesome, they would absolutely release them. Well, and that's that's probably true. But I mean, <laughs> let's let's face it. He he got some really bad advice from somebody on his campaign team to even bring that up. Um, and, and I understand the idea saying that you, you've been tested and are regularly tested and tested all the time and everything's peachy keen and fine. Well, it would be a lot better to say, no, I'm, I'm not getting tested. There's no indication that there's any um, reason for such a test. Um, and that's probably would have been the better way to go um, rather than saying, oh yeah, everybody's really concerned and so we're having that checked out every couple of weeks just to make sure, you know, my cheese hasn't completely slid off my cracker. Right. Um, but yeah. Uh, so I, I'm not surprised that they're not going to release that. Um, and frankly, I don't think anybody really needs to see that anyway. I, mm -hmm. I can't hate on him for it. If it were my test, I wouldn't want anybody to see it no matter what it said, because it's not yours. It's mine. Back off. Yeah. You don't have a right to my medical records. <laughs> Well, it'll be, it'll be interesting to see what actually happens. Um, <clears throat> speaking of um, political or presidential campaigns, now you didn't watch Trump's speech in front of, the, um, <clears throat> in front of uh, Mount Rushmore. Uh, I did I not. I did not watch it. Up and put, you know, putting me yeah. under the gun. I appreciate yeah. that. Throw you're, me under the welcome. bus for it. You're welcome. Nice. Well, I didn't watch it either. I didn't, I didn't <laughs> watch it either. I read the transcript. I read the transcript this morning. When I was having coffee, uh, mainly because it, it was it was pretty uh, it was pretty predictable the that the media's reaction to the to uh, his his speech was that it was doom and gloom and it was divisive and so I thought well let me go out there and read this um, you know, there were several journalistic articles New York Times and the Washington Post were saying how President Trump was stoking racial divide in the country there were several journalists saying. What do you mean? What do you mean? People want to tear down uh, statues of Abraham Lincoln and George Washington? What, what do you mean? We haven't heard anything about that. So I had to go out there and read read the article, or at least read the transcript. And I read it from beginning to end. And uh, you know, Trump did call out. I he did call out the protesters that are tearing down monuments. And what I thought was actually pretty grade A uh, trolling. You know. Um, Trump has a way of just flipping the tables on people, which I find to be absolutely hysterical. Mm -hmm. You know, we've had all these people, protesters pulling down statues of late all across the country. And so uh, yesterday, Trump announced that he had signed an executive order to start a new, um, I guess it's a park, if you will, or some kind of a museum where he's basically saying, oh, we're going to put up all the statues in this like secured <laughs> museum that people can come and visit and they can look at the statues on their own, which I thought was, uh, was absolutely, uh, fantastic when I read that. Um, you know, but president Trump was very, I, I read it. He was, it, what I loved about it is, um, he sounds like a president who loves the country first and foremost. Yep. It was a, I mean, it was a, it was a great read. Now, did he, did he deliver it great? I don't know. But uh, there are a lot of people saying it was, and people that even were never Trumpers, people who said, I'm never going to vote for him ever, all this kind of stuff. 
came out and said it was the greatest speech that he's ever given. And if he continues to give speeches like that every week uh, from now until November, that he'll win by a landslide. Um, and I thought it was a fantastic speech, at least what I read, mm -hmm. you know, what I read, I read the whole thing. Um, but it was, it was a, you could tell that it was a speech for love of country, love of our history. He included a lot of, of black history in their black American history in it, talking about MLK and, and others. Um, and it was, I mean, it was, uh, I thought it was fantastic. So we'll, we'll see how that, we'll see how that plays out. It's, it's interesting. That's, it's not the first speech, um, even in you describing it, that, that I've heard him giving that actually exudes that kind of idea that he, somebody who genuinely loves America. Yeah. And I guess the only surprising part, and I'm, not, I'm more surprised that I'm still surprised by it, mm -hmm. but just how, <laughs> how much the media and everybody seems to hate that idea that actually loving the United States of America should be something that you should be ashamed of <laughs> or, um, or it's frowned upon or, or how dare you love this country? You know yeah. what? Our country is on fire. I mean, literally yeah. it's, and it's, it's eating itself from the inside out. And, and it's, it's really hard to sit back and watch, but all that being said, we have the greatest country on the face of the planet. And I don't have any problem saying that and, and backing that up. We have the absolute greatest country um, in the world. And I would, um, I can't imagine another place I'd want to be. And I hope that the unrest that's happening right now um, doesn't take that from me. So I just saw this on Twitter and I want to share it here as I, as I get the, uh, the screen up, because I thought it was fantastic. You know, I'm hearing all these fireworks going off in my backyard. Um, <clears throat> and, and of course I see this off of Twitter. Uh, this was from uh, a journalist. Is he a journalist? He's at TPUSA, um, which is more of a right-leaning type of a website. But, um, you know, here, this is in California. So it's, you know, fireworks right now are illegal in California. And what I love about this clip, so this is a news clip, an aerial footage. I don't know what city KCAL is in. Um, KCAL, maybe Los Angeles. I don't know. I don't know what city this is in, but it's obviously this big city and there's fireworks. And so you can just see that there's this, look at the, all of these fireworks going off. Oh my gosh. It's incredible. Just going off, just tons and tons of fireworks going up all over the place. So people have, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, people have just gone out and bought a ton of fireworks and California is basically saying F you California government. Um, look at this. It's just, wow. it's wow. <laughs> That's and, awesome. And these are not public displays. These are not public displays of, of um, these are not public displays of fireworks because all of those were canceled in California. So this is just people in their backyards and their, in their communities who went out and got fireworks and they just said, screw it. I mean, like, it makes me want to go get mine and set them right? off. Cause I've, I've got a handful. <laughs> I, I mean, I've never seen anything like this. Uh, yeah. You see fireworks going up, you, you know, at, at new year's or 4th of July, but usually they're, they're, they're spaced out. I mean, these fireworks are just a few hundred yards from each other. Um, and the whole skyline here, um, whatever city this is in KCAL, um, 
you know, just all over the place. So it, I thought that was fantastic. I just, yep. I thought that was, uh, yep. That's cool. Yeah. I thought it was very cool. You know, good for you, California, mm-hmm. basically, uh, sticking it to the man more power to you. <laughs> I dig it. Yeah. You know, up here, if I were to set mine off, I'd probably be the the only one for a couple blocks and the police would come, uh, come knock on my door. Well, that's because you live in the, in the people's socialist Soviet Republic of Flagstaff. Of Flagstaff. So, yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, man, if there was people setting them off every, you know, basically every other door on every street, well, come get me, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, so I have a uh, switching gears here. I, I have a I have an article that I found, um, and this is from a website called FamilyStoryProject.org. Yeah, FamilyStoryProject.org.org. Yeah. Okay. Um, and I don't really know exactly what this. Uh, they do research about. They they do social science research in the area of family, you know, marriage, families, uh, unwed mothers, you know, things that, that are really important to the socialization of family members, I guess. Is okay. Only the best way that I can, I can describe it. So, um, yeah, that's, that's, that's what they do. So they do a lot of this research here, but this article is titled, what is family privilege? A Q and a with professor Bethany, I'm, I'm not even going to pronounce it. L-E-T-I-E-C-Q. Latique? I don't even, okay. I, I don't know. I'm probably, good I'm probably butchering the name and my apologies, Bethany. Um, but there you go. So this was, this just, uh, this was actually was published in August of 2019. So it was out, it's been out there for a while, but I just, I just uh, came across it this week. Um, but this, this Bethany person, she's in favor of doing away with families because of family privilege. What? Yeah. No. Yeah. What? No, I, I, wait. I, yeah. Do, wait, she's in favor of doing away with families. How do, how do you even yeah. do that? I don't know. No. Um, So she wrote this, uh, she wrote a a study that was published in an academic journal called Surfacing Family Privilege and Supremacy in Family Science, colon, Toward Justice for All. This this article, it focuses on the concept of family privilege within family science. And so this is a Q&A. So the, the author asked her, can you explain briefly what family privilege is and how family privilege manifests in our everyday lives? Her response, family privilege is a term that was first coined in 2000. While other kinds of privileges are now talked about frequently, such as white privilege, family privilege has yet to become commonplace in our vernacular. Family privilege recognizes that some families are the beneficiaries of unearned or unacknowledged advantages in our society simply based on how they are configured. For example, our society values and privileges heterosexual marriages over other relationships, including couples who live together, raise children together, and choose not to marry. As I point out in the article, married couples receive some 1,138 benefits, rights, and protections that that cohabiting couples do not receive, even though a cohabiting couple may be functioning in very similar ways to a married couple. For example, when a couple marries, they are instantly treated differently under the law, gaining access to spousal benefits, 
such as social security or spousal protections, such as family and medical leave, no matter how long a couple cohabits, they will not be eligible or qualify for many of these benefits or protections. A common refrain is, if you want the benefits, just get married. But why should a couple be forced to marry if that runs counter to their beliefs, values, or desires? By not recognizing a valuing diverse family configurations under the law, some family forms are delegitimized and marginalized. They are disadvantaged, while other family forms, in this case married couples, are the beneficiaries of privilege and, in my opinion, are unduly and unfairly enriched. Now, that's just part of it. That's just part of this article. Um, well, first of all, I thought, I thought gay marriage was a thing now. I thought that was settled back in the, the Supreme Court a couple of years ago. Um, was that 2015, it, it was. 2016? So her, her gripe is not with the, the gay family. Her gripe is with the, I, I want to live with my life partner, and he and I don't want to get married because of reasons. Um, so, but we want to be, we want all the, <laughs> all the benefits which is funny, this all comes down to money and have-nots um, that a married couple has, but that we don't want because we don't want to actually commit because of reasons. Right. Yeah. So, um, with all, what's her first name? Bethany. With all due respect, Bethany. Shut up. <laughs> Who cares? You know what? Are you, do you seriously think that I am more privileged than half the people out there because I'm married and have 2.5 kids? Get over yourself. I'm sorry. That's just so freaking stupid. You want to, you want to live your life in your family unit, however you want to describe it or whatever, go live under a rock and, and be drums and chant and smoke patchouli and do whatever the heck it is you want but quit trying to attack the family unit that the rest of us are trying to hold on to okay if it doesn't matter to you fine go somewhere and go be happy i wish you true happiness but leave the rest of us that actually hold on to some sort of a family value the hell alone yeah, and you know, there's a part of this article here. The article goes on to say, or Bethany goes on to say, that um, I'm, I'm skipping through some of the article, but she goes on and says, we've already discussed the disadvantaging of cohabiting couples. Take another example, a same-sex couple who commits to life together. Say they also own a home, are financially stable, are surrounded by people who support and honor them, may be told they are not eligible to foster or adopt a child because some lawmakers consider them to be unfit parents, if there's no valid evidence to substantiate such a determination of unfitness. Well, I, I beg to disagree on that for just one second. I have to, I have to interject because I beg to disagree. Um, and there, there's, there's a lot of evidence, both from not just um, from a family science perspective, but also from a, a, a psychosocial perspective, a sociological perspective, um, that that heterosexual couples produce more, more well-rounded children overall, because children can view how the, the fathers treat the mothers and how mothers treat the fathers. And they get socialized into those types of, of social norms. Um, 
that the eventually translate out into society. Hi. Hey. So I am, we're still recording. Yep. <laughs> Off we go. Hey, look at that. So awesome. I, I don't know what happened there. We lost internet for some strange reason. And, uh, but now we're back. Too many fireworks in the sky. But, I guess uh, so. I guess you were so. getting, you were saying, uh, I beg to disagree on that, which. Oh, I'm and then you, you and then it. I, and then I lost, and then I lost. Yeah. It. Well, you know, <laughs> I noticed that you were, and then I thought, oh my gosh, maybe his head went down. Frozen up. Yep. And everything ended on my side, but say, thankfully we're still recording. That's good stuff. Uh, so anyway, what I was talking about was how, you know, she's, she's complaining or at least uh, lamenting over these same sex or same sex couples. But there's a, there's a, there's a growing amount, there's a growing number of evidence, grow, a mounting amount of evidence um, in various types of scientific circles, particularly, you know, in the social sciences related to, uh, you know, psychology, um, psychosocial, uh, developments of children uh, and other types of, of areas where heterosexual couples produce better, better, well-rounded children. Not just, of course, that's not the creation of them. That's already happened. But in the socially, the, the socialization of those children as they, as they grow up and mature, uh, children who are raised in heterosexual, in heterosexual parent with heterosexual parents, they can see how males interact with females and how females interact with males and those things and those types of relationships begin to, they also extend out into society when you're in the workforce or just shopping and, or anything like that you know i think it's 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 important to note because i i know the research that you're referring to um that this is not saying the research is not pointing to the fact that uh homosexual couples cannot be good parents to not. these children that is Correct. absolutely not in question Correct. I, I think i think homosexual couples can be very good parents to their children and in some case maybe even better sure but um what the research you're referring to is actually speaking to the socialization and the development that the child has right. throughout their upbringing and the effects that that has later on in life there is disparaging data between children raised in a homosexual um, parental situation at home versus a heterosexual one. Right. Correct. 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 Okay. And, that, right. and that that evidence is is pretty staggering, um, and it's not just evidence within particular elements of the United States; it's worldwide. Um, now, is that to say that every child in a heterosexual home is going to be better Absolutely off? Not. Not, not necessarily. There are a lot of different factors in there. Sure. But when you're looking at um, gender socialization and looking at and learning about how men treat women and women treat men, um, there's a lot to be learned there by, by, by a child who is being raised in a home um, where there are two heterosexual loving parents. Now, of course, people are going to say, well, what about the, the alcoholic and abusive husband? I'm not talking about those situations. Well, yeah, right? you, those are, of course, those you, are going to be damaging for children. When you're looking at, at data sets, and, and you know, we've done this a little bit, but I think it's important to point out, there are always outliers. Correct. And, and you know you cannot just disregard those. Absolutely, the data is valid. However, right. what you're talking about when you're looking at data 
um, in any kind of situation, you, you need to take the broad scope and it's a law of averages. If you're looking at, at sample sizes of 2000, let's just say, if you have two instances in, in your example where you've got alcoholic or abusive parents, that's, that's only two out of, you know, the other 1,998. So unfortunately, outliers in either side of the argument are just that. They're outliers. You have to yeah. take the bulk of the data. Yeah. I think that's important because um, I've heard you make a reference data before and say, you know, I'm not talking about these people or that situation or this. Correct. It's not saying that we don't recognize that. But anytime you're looking at a data set, you have to take those, those outlying uh, data points and they, they become removed from your focus because otherwise you don't get a clear picture of what you're Correct. And, and the, you know, the, the reality of the data that suggests this is all things being equal. So all things being equal where we have two parents who are loving and committed to one another in the home. Right. So if you have two loving parents who are heterosexual versus two loving parents who are homosexual, the children develop better socialization skills, generally speaking, growing up in that heterosexual household. Now, am I now I don't want people to misunderstand by me describing something is not the same as passing judgment for or against it. So just describing that this data actually exists and that this is what social scientists are actually experiencing and, and witnessing as they conduct these different types of studies, that's, you know, that, that's one thing. And, and having an opinion on whether or not uh, homosexual couples or heterosexual couples, et cetera, should be raising children, that's a, that's a separate issue. So there's a difference between describing something and taking a side for something. And all I'm doing right now is describing that. Agreed. So, but there's also interesting, there's also interesting data, um, very much so against lesbian couples versus, um, uh, gay couples. And when I say gay, I'm speaking about the, the gay men couples. So the data amongst when you're looking at, at, um, well, and I have to press a preface that, right? I have no, to say it's, that it's because, okay. well, because uh, right, in, women in who, women, because women, we, we, lesbians will say they're gay too, right? So, right. Well, gay is gay. Right, but there's no but we, male version. We don't have of gay. A, a, ter, a term for that, and <laughs> right. may, maybe there is. And I'm just, I'm right. that I don't know. I, I don't know. Right, so, so I have to, I have to differentiate that, right? So because, what you're saying is there's disparaging data versus gay women, ver- and then gay, gay men. men and gay men. Okay. Yes, yes. So, and the only reason because gay women have a term. It's called they're called lesbians. Right. What's the gay male term? I don't want to say it. I don't. <laughs> So, so <laughs> let me make my point. Okay. Uh, so yes, when you look at parenting between gay male couples and gay female couples, um, what you notice is the, 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 the lesbian couples, those home lives in, in many cases tend to be downright destructive. Um, and it's, that's actually quite surprising. Yes, uh, yeah. lesbian couples love to beat the crap out of each other. Um, really? Yeah, there's a lot of there's a lot of data that shows that lesbian couples love to beat the crap out of each other. Um, now, you know, why is that? I, I don't know. Um, could it be that 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 some that some many lesbian couples are they're tending to portray um, masculine traits, and so they're overcompensating for that ma- those ma- that masculine side that they're trying to uh, to. I have no idea. I don't know. Um, 
but it's a theory, right? Uh, but it's interesting. They're, they're beating the crap out of each other. And if, uh, if a lesbian couple is trying to adopt a child, one has to think, well, should you allow that? Now, if two gay guys are trying to adopt a couple, the, the data is much more favorable in terms of, of gay men adopting um, than gay women. You're looking at me like, I don't even want to touch it. Oh, man. There are so many things I really, really, and I guess observations that I have made that I, 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 in the sake of just trying to be a peaceful podcast, I probably should shut up. I'm really working on that, but um, yeah, no, I, uh, so it's interesting, however, that you mentioned that there's, there's a higher um, rate of violence in the home with uh, gay women couples than gay men. Um, it, it surprises me only for I, when I think of an abusive parent, I guess, and maybe it's the, uh, the old school mentality that it's always the man. Um, it's always the father figure. It's, it's the dad who's always the abusive type. Um, and maybe because there's two women involved and there isn't that um, natural show of masculinity of testosterone that it kind of lowers the threshold for them. It could be possible. Yeah, um, I don't know. In a gay man um, relationship, it's, I uh, yeah, I I you know what I just don't know. Uh, that's, yeah, but I don't it know. is it's it's very interesting. Yeah, it is very interesting. The the lesbian couples like to beat each other up. Hmm. Who knew? Who knew? Um, a, another thing that Bethany here says in in this article, she says single parent headed single parent headed families are also disadvantaged. You don't say. They're single really? parent. They're well, single well, parent headed well, well, families. Wait, hmm. wait, single parent as in there's only one parent. As in one parent. But single she, parent headed, meaning right. there's only one parent. So, but right. she just said that the traditional family unit with you know two parents, right? Man, female. Um, well, she's making a claim now that single parent families are perfectly fine. Oh, okay. Right. Let me I, let I me finish you, oh, the set. Sorry. Let me finish the paragraph. Yeah, okay. Whoa. <laughs> she says she says single parent headed families are also disadvantaged in a SNAF centric society. Um, I can't remember what she she defines. I think it's like I forget. Oh, I can go back up and remember and see how she differentiated SNAF. To my knowledge, few American leaders have ever said that single parent families are in the best interests of society. Well, why would they? There's, a, well, there's an overwhelming number of evidence that says kids are worse off if they're raised by a single, by a single parent. Um, yeah, look at the single parent. Right. I mean, <laughs> I'm sorry. You know right. what? I, I have an awesome wife, and there's the two of us, and we make a good partnership right. and a good pair. And just one of us going to work is murder. Right. I, I, you know, my kids had, had off of school on the third. And my wife was home with them and I had to go to work. I came home and I went, Oh honey, where's the children? I'll, I'll take them for a while. Take a break because she was a mess. Right. And, and that's not her fault. Well, we've already talked about how single parent black families have been very destructive, not intentionally. I mean, the, I know the mothers have done the best that they can, but when the father is absent, it's been extremely destruct destructive to um, males, boys and young boys and girls, you know, sure. raising, being raised by a single mother. Uh, we've already talked about that and talked about the data for that and talked right, about right. the impact that that has had for, for decades. And now here she's saying, well, we need to rethink our single headed families and say that essentially those are perfectly okay. 
the data is overwhelmingly against such a notion. And, right. You know, some families, some families have to, you know what? Uh, uh, maybe uh, the mother has to get her kids out of an abusive relationship and she, it's better to get out than to stay in. That's a reality. Um, some, some, in some families, one spouse passes away, dies. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and you're now you're stuck. There is, there was well, no other option. We'll, we'll take the less extravagant situation and, you know, being in, growing up in a household as a child where you have your parents fighting constantly um, is, is destructive. It absolutely is. Um, so e even those, I guess what I'll call a quote unquote natural divorce um, is, you know, might be better. Uh, it, it, yeah. But, but I, I, I don't know that. It, and it sounds like she's, she's not saying that the single headed family is actually good but she's upset that none of the politicians lawmakers etc have actually come out and said that it's good so right right she wants people to just come out and say it so that nobody will feel bad about it right i guess right okay, okay. because in, in her position she wants all families regardless of however they're configured whether and i would assume i mean she doesn't talk about um you know uh polygamist families but i would imagine she probably I don't know. That's an assumption on my part, assuming that because she's basically calling for acceptance and uh, extra stuff for any kind of family, no matter if it's one parent, two parents, three parents, or, you know, et cetera. We're going to get into an equality discussion all over again, aren't we? Right. right. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, no, that's, that's absolutely right. She, she wants, um, you know, if you, all of the benefits that are afforded and, and it's, it pains me to say benefits, but um, we'll say benefits that are afforded to a married couple with 2.5 kids in the white picket fence house, etc., should be afforded to every family, no matter how they define that. Right. So um, while I, I, I can appreciate the good-hearted intention that that sounds like on paper. The logistical nightmare that that could only cause. Because now you're basically saying, hey, you know what? Um, me and you and three other dudes, we're going to call ourselves a family while we're trying to get through college. And now we can get all these uh, deductions and tax write-offs and all this other stuff and some, you know, this and that. Because we're not, you know, we're starving college kids. But... If we call right. ourselves a family, then, right. hey, you know, you can't judge and I should get all the same stuff everybody else does, right? Right. So where does that end? Right. I don't know. Who knows? So, anyway. All right. Well, I'm going right. to shift gears here. There was a, I, want, I want to play this video for you. Let's see if this actually, um, if that, this actually, let me, uh, you know what? I don't even know if I'm sharing my, vo my sound with you. So let me redo that. Uh, yes, I am. Okay. I just needed to make sure I was sharing sound so you could hear I was like, it. So, I didn't uh, hear anything in the fireworks, but I heard the fart loud and clear. Yeah, I intentionally turned the, the sound off for the fireworks because I wanted to talk through it while we were gotcha. while we were watching it. So let's watch this video here. Okay. And I muted her. So I got to turn the volume back up. Well, but I was watching. Yeah, you are. Watch. No Next person who has the sheer nerve, the sheer entitled caucasity to say all lives matter, I'm going to stab you. I'm going I'm to stab you. And while you're struggling and bleeding out, I'm going to show you my paper cut and say, 
my cut matters too. Next. Okay. So. <laughs> my gosh. You know, so this girl created this TikTok video. And you heard what she said, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and there were a lot of people that were essentially calling to cancel her. Now, there's this thing called cancel culture that exists in our culture and our society today, and it's terrible. Mm-hmm. It's absolutely terrible. People are getting fired for jobs uh, just because they happen to say something online. Right. And there were a lot of people that went to social media and were basically blasting this girl and saying that, you know, trying to figure out where she lived and where she works so that they could, they could cancel her. Okay. Um, and, and then they did just that. Um, and, you know, she, she made another video and uh, I'm going to try to put it up here in a second. Um, she made another video where she talked about uh, being canceled and what that was like for her. So let me put this one up here. So let me, before I do that one. Okay, go ahead. What are, you, what are your thoughts about that particular video? Well, all right. So I'm, I'm, I'm disturbed and disgusted um, by what she's saying, honestly. Um, it bothers me, and, and I think that's very indicative of what we're seeing right now. Um, I've heard that argument before with the, you know, well, black lives matter. Yes, but all lives matter. And I, I, I can agree with that. I think all lives matter. And I'm not trashing the black lives matter movement per se. What I, what I get very, very upset with is the idea that even discussing an opposing um, argument causes you to literally threaten to kill someone and and not just kill somebody but she's saying to stab them and watch them lovingly um bleed to life and struggle to cling to life that's that's wrong that's wrong but so that being said uh, okay um do i think she should have been canceled i can't i can't necessarily say yes you know i i we had a very honest and difficult discussion about free speech and people's right to say really stupid stuff. And you know, yeah, that's her right. She shouldn't be canceled any more than someone like, I don't know, um, pick somebody getting up there and saying, you know what, this black lives matter is blah, 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 blah. If I hear one more person saying that I'm done with it, you know, all lives matter. And if, um, black lives mattered before, why, where were you complaining about the thousands of black people killed by black people just in the last month? I mean, it's, you know, they've got a right to say that too. And um, I, I have to be able to, to put my personal feelings on what's being set aside and, and look at their right to be able to say what's, what they want. So when I first, when I first heard about this story, I watched the video mm-hmm. and the, the first thing I thought of was, wow, how, how bold of her to, to say that, um, that she wanted to stab people. And then I, I, you know, and I thought about it a little bit more and I thought, do I believe her? Do I believe she would actually stab anybody? Um, and I don't, 
I, when I watched the video, I don't believe that she was, she would actually stab anybody given the opportunity. If I was stabbing right, if I were standing right in front of her, I don't think she would stab me. I, I just don't believe that. Now, maybe I let my guard down in front of her and she does stab me. And well, I, you know, I got my own self to blame, but I, I don't, I think she was just being, I think she was using, um, you know, I think she said something very ludicrous to try to draw attention to the stupidity of her top, or, you know, of the, of what she thinks to be the point of her topic. Right. right? Um, so I think she's, I think she's using stupidity or ludicrousness to to show and highlight um, other things that are ridiculous. You know, do I agree with the phrasing? No, I don't. Um, but at the same time, when I, after watching it, I just kind of shrugged my shoulders and thought, well, whatever, who cares? I, I really don't, I really don't care about her. And it's, it's not worth me wasting energy to even think about her. Um, now, a lot of people attacked her online. And, uh, you know, it makes me, it made me think back to the Joe Rogan bit, you know, where mm -hmm. people need to be able to say stupid, stupid stuff so that others can say, bitch, what? Right. Yeah. And that was yeah. the whole Joe Rogan bit. Um, and I, so I think people were in essence saying that, like, you know, calling her out on, on her stupidity and, um, and they have a right to do that. And she should, she should be able to take that heat and say, okay, maybe I went a little too far. Um, but then she made this video, then this came out and I'll play this one for you. Now it won't play. <laughs> Play, damn you. Yeah. Okay, there it goes. I've gotten death threats, rape threats, violent threats. It was okay. But now it doesn't make my future. My future is entirely compromised because Trump supporters have decided to come for my life. God, this sucks. You guys suck. I'm too strong for you. I'm too strong for Trump supporters. Okay, what, what she goes on to say in the video, so I wanted to play that part. What she goes on to say in the video is that uh, she lost her, her job offer through, for, for, from Deloitte. So I guess she had a job offer, allegedly. And she lost it because of the backlash that she was getting on social media. And of course, a lot of people came you know, attacked her again on social media and says, well, serves you right. You, you know, so in, in essence, she got canceled for that. Mm -hmm. And, um, and again, I, I, I thought about it and I thought, well, you know, Deloitte has the right to fire her. Um, but I also kind of feel like, well, shame on Deloitte for firing her. And of course, other people were saying, well, if she's going to be dealing with clients, um, we have no idea what job she had. But if she, people were saying, well, if she was going to be dealing with clients, then they can't really have her in front of clients. What if, you know, how are clients going to feel, et cetera. And I thought, well, you know, I, I, I felt very strongly that Deloitte probably overstepped, even though they have the right to pull the job offer. Um, because what I'm really tired of is I'm really tired of companies folding like this. I'm really tired of companies just saying, fine, I'm just, we're just going to fire you because now what it does is it emboldens other people and emboldens other groups that say, if, if, if we can, if we can find where this person works, we, this person said something that we don't agree with, whatever that may be. And now we are emboldened. We can, if we can find out where they work, we can attack their work 
and put pressure on their employer so their employer can turn around and fire them. I think that this is a, this is a, a destructive road that society is on. And I really wish Deloitte hadn't done it. Um, because I think it just emboldens the mob to continue to do this. And to me, now I start having issue. What are your thoughts? Um, well, okay. All right. So we take this back to the free speech discussion that you and I had. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't agree with compelled speech. I don't agree with censored speech, but I do agree with the idea that you stand by what you say. It is on you. And we had that discussion, I think probably almost, you know, (laughs) beat that one to death. Um, I don't believe that anybody should really compel you to what you can or cannot say. However, I do believe that the consequences of your voice are yours to own. And I say that lovingly. I mean, we are, we, you and I are sitting here right now broadcasting our voice to a lot of different people. And, and I don't believe that we're in a position that, that, um, that we can't stand behind what we've said because we try and approach these topics from a position of values and principles without trying to lead credence to one way or the other. Now, that being said, do I think that they should have fired her for that? I can't say yes. I can't say no only because I don't know exactly why they chose to withdraw said job offer. It could very well be you are making threats to other human beings and that puts us as a as a company and a big company in a very highly liable position i don't think i maybe we need to rethink this position i don't think this is going to work um i can't fault an employer for that however if they fired her for the sake of saying you know what she's getting blown up on social media and she's being you know there's a lot of people angry with her and we just want to distance ourselves from that that's the problem. And, and that's what I think I'm hoping, or I think that you're actually trying to allude to is that just being reactionary to somebody getting bad press, that's not, that's not okay. Well, and the other thing too, is as far as I know, I don't, I don't, I don't have a TikTok account. I don't go on TikTok. Um, judging by the first video that she posted, she doesn't talk about Deloitte. I don't know if she talks about Deloitte on her other TikTok channel, on, on her TikTok channel. But let's assume for the sake of argument that she does not, that she hasn't talked about Deloitte. Then, then, then again, I have to go back to, well, well, then why? Why was the job offer pulled? Now, there is a difference between, obviously there is a difference between we're rescinding our job offer versus firing you. Her mm-hmm. job, her offer, she had an offer and it was rescinded. Um, so she wasn't actually employed. If she were employed, I would, I think it would be a great opportunity as if I were her supervisor, if I were her boss, maybe tell her, Hey, you know what? Maybe you should take off, take down that video. It's causing a lot of heat. Would Mm -hmm. you mind Mm -hmm. taking it down? I'm not going to force you, but can you take it down? But it's also a great opportunity to, to turn it around and say, Hey, look, this is a learning opportunity for you. What are you doing? No, and, and that I, I agree with that. And, and I had a situation um, at work, um, and I have before, where there are things being said on, let's just say, Facebook. And, you know, those situations are like, hey, you know, you, 
you are representing the company by the, just the fact of your employment. Um, your name and position are known within this town, especially my town. It's small. Um, you need to be a little bit more cautious about what you're putting up there because it can um, come back. I don't think that there's any reason to, I don't think that that's necessarily bad. Saying, you know what? Um, we're just going to outright fire you just because we don't like any of the social backlash that you're getting. No, I don't agree with that. Yeah. I, um, I, just, I just don't agree with her losing it. I, no. And I, what I'm really interested in is she, she actually, she's blaming, she's blaming Trump supporters, not taking any ownership of what she said. That's yes. my, I guess. And that's yes. my hard. It's a hard hurdle for me to jump over and actually um, be empathetic. And, and I'm sorry, I'm really trying. Um, and I'm trying to say, yes, you know, do I think that there were a lot of things that could have been done, could have been done differently, handled differently? Yes, I take that into account. Um, but, you know, that was a, that's the learning opportunity that she really could say, okay, whoa, you know what? I fouled up. I was mad. I was frustrated. Um, I really believe in the Black Lives Matter cause and I'm getting all, you know, a lot of people saying this stuff and I'm just so frustrated with it at the time. That's why I said that. And, um, I shouldn't have said that I shouldn't have posted it. So life I, lesson. I think her crying and blaming Trump supporters, um, was actually worse, the worse video than the initial video. In, in yeah, my opinion, yeah, I can agree with that. In, in my opinion, in, in, you know, the first video I watched it, I thought, oh, you know, she's young and dumb and who cares? Mm -hmm. Right. That's, that's the, that was my first reaction to the first video. The second video I thought, well, now you're literally attacking a very specific group of people. Anybody, when, when the first one, when she said anybody who says all lives matter, that's going to make me mad. That could be anybody that, sure. that could le legitimately be anybody and who knows. And, and right. Um, but when, then when she comes out and says, and she's attacking the Trump supporters and naming them very specifically as this group of people, I thought, whoa, now you've gone over the, now you've taken, you've, you, you made a, a video at first that was probably in a little poor taste, which I've, whatever, but then you made another one that was just even worse in my opinion. And you're trying to fix a wrong by make, by making a complete and total fool of yourself. What are you doing? Well, Stop. You're, you're Stop. trying to politicize um, the, the opposition to a social justice movement. Um, the two shouldn't be connected. Well, how does and she yet, even other Trump supporters? That's my point. That's just, that's exactly what I'm getting at. If, if you really believe in the cause and you really believe in the movement, then that should be the focus. The political alignment does, should not or ever come into play. Right. And that's, that's assuming you're making a very big assumption that half of the people out there, you know, marching right along with you for Black Lives Matter don't support Trump. Right. Or the other assumption that everybody who's, who's come up and said, you know what, I don't agree with the Black Lives Matter movement. I think all life is precious. The, all those people must be Trump supporters. Right. That's really disparaging. Right. I thought it was really bad. But what, you know, what's interesting about this story is it actually gets a little bit better. <laughs> and... <laughs> okay and i i did i intentionally did it this way i intentionally did not tell you the ending of it uh, i don't know how people found out uh it's amazing the the sleuths that exist on on the internet but people actually found out that no she she never worked for deloitte 
She didn't have a job offer for Deloitte. What she had was a two-week internship offer at Deloitte because she's just a recent graduate from Harvard. So she did graduate from Harvard, from Harvard College, Harvard University. Um, but she only had a two-week, which I don't understand how you do a two-week internship. That seems really small, really short to me. But she had a two-week internship and they said, okay, we don't want you to come and be an intern um, at our company at Deloitte. Um, so the whole thing, so it just seems like the whole thing she's, you know, does she have a lot of credibility now? No, I don't. No. I think she's misrepresented a lot of this. Um, sadly, um, I hope that she, I hope that at some point in the future, she can take ownership for her own actions, learn from this and move on. But I also hope a lot of other companies learn from this as well and, and say, you know what, we're not going to fire somebody just because they happen to say something dumb online, as long as they're not representing our company doing it. Mm -hmm. So I think, I think there's differences there. Yeah. And, and I, I, I've always been a believer if, if you're not sure whether something is right or wrong, flip it to an opposing side and see if it feels right that way as well. So, um, you know, if, if we want to make it a political example, um, if she would have said, if she would have initially said, if I have one more person come up and tell me Black Lives Matter and I'm going to stab them to death and blah, 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 blah. And then she's attacked by quote unquote Biden supporters because that's how they are. And then she got fired. Is that right? If the answer is no, then it's not right for the other either. Yeah. And, and I think we need to be able to look at things, you know, pause, time out. Let's flip this around, look at the argument from the other the other perspective and see if it holds water, then okay. If it doesn't, then it does. Yeah. All right. Well, let's, uh, let's switch gears here and let's, let's talk about our, our topic. What okay. do you think? All right. Um, and, and, you know, our topic is, is really, um, well, why don't, why don't you talk about it? Why don't you, um, because you were the one who, who, who brought this whole thing up and not that I, I dislike it. I actually love the topic, but it's rites of passage in society. Uh, why don't you set the stage for it? Well, you love being able to flip that around on me every once in a while. I and do. that's okay. I, I, I know. I know. You get that, ooh, <laughs> you get that sick grin. <laughs> yeah. uh, so we talked about rites of passage long time ago. And, and it's something interesting that's always intrigued me about society, societies. Because it's not just ours. I mean, through throughout history, there's always been forms of rites of passage that happen throughout or periodically throughout um, life, even in tribal societies. Um, a lot of, we'll say even Native American tribal societies, there, the, the man as he was going um, through his growth, once he reached quote unquote manhood, there were hunts that they had to go along on, that they had to do on their own, things like that, that were, that was their rite of passage. Many of those um, spirit journeys that they had to go through. Um, in the, on the female aspect, they had to sit and learn from the matriarchs of, of the tribe on how to sustain the entire tribal life. I mean, they, because especially in the Native American cultures, it's, it's still very matriarchal. So they are in charge. They're essentially the chiefs. Mm -hmm. Um, and no matter what part of the world you were in, no matter how big or small those societies were, there were always rites of passage that happened for both men and women. And 
it's interesting if we look back and I'll just take, you know, as an example from my own life, there's, we still have some, nothing as big as me having to get a spear and go out in the wilderness to hunt a tiger um, to prove myself a man. But there are little things that we still have. And yet some reason I feel that there's a lot missing in our society. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's, it's been an interesting thought. And, and we've talked about this where there's, I believe there's a lot of interest in, you know, fraternities, in social groups, um, even the military, um, uh, police force or public service, that boot camp or that acceptance, earning mm-hmm. your stripes up to that point and then being accepted amongst the ranks of your peers. You talked about it even um, during your military boot camp experience and what that meant to you when finally those commanders actually saluted you as you walked across the field. That was, that was a huge rite of passage. You had cleared through that boot camp experience and now you were accepted amongst the ranks of those other sailors as, yeah. as a peer, as an equal. Not an equal because, of course, there's military rank, but um, it's... It's interesting that that level of acceptance amongst a group mentality, um, it's something that I think we still have internally. And my fear is that if, it's, if we don't provide for that in some capacity, people will find it one way or another. And unfortunately, I think it can also lead to very nefarious um, groups or societies. I, I think that's one of the appeals that young young people have, especially young men, towards um, gangs. Because there is, there's an initiation, if you will, and, and then they are now part of that group, part of that gang. They've earned their stripes. And, and there's an immediate family almost aspect to that where you are now one of us. Um, you know, what I, what I, what I like about, about rites of passage is the fact that a, a rite of passage is a, is a ceremony. It's typically some type of a ritual or ceremony that is performed that um, is, is performed for somebody or is essentially done to somebody. So when you're going through that rite of passage, you're at the center of that particular ceremony or ritual. Um, for me, what I like about it is, is that ritual component is really... Uh, a mythological story that is manifested within physical space. So we talk about various myths and we talk about how they impact our lives. But when we do ritual, we're bringing that mythology into the real world. And when you're going through a rite of passage, now you are an active participant within this ritual, within that mythology. Um, Yes. The other people who are performing that ritual are part of that mythology as well, but not to the, not in the same way as the person going through that through that through that ritual themselves. And when we're talking about a rite of passage, what we're talking about is we're taking that we're taking that person and we're we're essentially breaking them away from from what was what, what the life that they used to live before. We're we're snapping that away from them and we're saying no more. Um, often this is done with you know in past societies this was done with uh, with young males. We're basically saying that your childhood is over. Your childhood is over. We're breaking you from that. You're no longer a child. And we're going to reimagine you or reintegrate you 
into the world of adulthood, into the world of the tribe. And you are now not only just a man or a, a woman among the tribe, you're no longer a little boy or a little girl. You are now a member of the tribe, but you're also a man or you're also a woman um, that's recognized by that. And, and I right. think that's an important, an important aspect. Now, we also have a lot of, we have, a, we have many different rites of passage within our society today. Um, some of them are, are important than others, but they all, they don't necessarily happen for youth. And I think that's what's really important, what's really missing. So for example, you can, you go through, if you go to college, there's going to be a graduation ceremony, right? If you join the military, you're going to go through boot camp or something like that. And there's going to be some sort of uh, ceremony where you pass and review, right? Where you're being brought into the fold. And there are these different types of rituals. But what's interesting is when you're a kid, we don't really have a rite of passage for a kid. Now, some might say, well, we do when you, when you graduate high school and you're 18, typically you tend to be about 18 years of age, but I would say not even then, because although yes, you graduate high school, but, and while many students are at least 18 years of age um, and they're technically a, an adult in the eyes of the law, there are still a lot of things they can't do. They can't, they, they can't rent a car. Um, yeah. you have to be like 25, right? They can't drink alcohol. You got to be 21 to be able to do those things. So they're still not a fully integrated member of adulthood. Well, and, and what you were talking about was basically breaking that person away or breaking things away. I'll take it a step further and say that there's actually an element of death and rebirth. Mm -hmm. Um, even, um, you know, here's a, it's a really, no, I'm not going to use that as an example. It's, it's a bad one. No, exactly. <laughs> okay. um, you know, so, okay. Um, there's, when you're talking about actually sloughing off or, or the, we'll take the native American culture as an example, you know, you went on your spirits, your spirit quest. Okay. Mm -hmm. You left childhood behind. You were given the tools of adulthood usually, or at least way back when you went naked. Right. Because you were stripped of all of your childhood possessions and you had to survive and earn your life as a man. And that doesn't mean that you're always necessarily alone. There's also an element as you were talking about bringing in mythology. There's always, always a guide, right? Even in the native American culture, that's where you found your spirit guide because that was to lead you through and you brought that magical or mythological element with you and learning about that and learning about yourself, you broke through the barrier from childhood to adulthood. Now a days, I mean, the only passages like of four children, so I wouldn't call graduation of high school, even a rite of passage anymore. Um, that just means you survive school without getting your butt beat up too much. Right. Um, right. You know, I think of some of the, like the, the Catholic cultures and it, well, it, we'll take the Hispanic one. Um, you know, the quinceanera was supposed to be originally, that was a rite of passage for young girls to, um, become young women. Mm -hmm. Now it's, it's kind of more just like a sweet 16 thing. Correct. Um, we've, we've actually, and I don't, I'm not, um, I'm not picking on the culture by any means, but we've actually watered that down to a point now where it doesn't have the same significance for that young, um, that young female in her, in her development. Um, so right now I can't, I guess I can't think of anything. Um, 
that really would, I think, quantify as necessarily a rite of passage. And I, and I think a lot of people are looking for that because the expectation, like you talked about, leaving childhood behind and becoming an adult, you know, you graduate high school. I mean, the most demands of you is like, well, what are you going to do with your life? Well, I don't know. You know, I, I guess I'll go to college. Okay, well, that's just doing the same thing you've already been doing in childhood, but now it costs you money. Um, right, right. You know, and so I don't think we have that immediate demand to be that member of the tribe, that productive member of our adult society. That demand starts now. Childhood is over. Adulthood starts. You have made it. Go do it. It's time. I don't think we have it. No, and I don't think we have it either because not all not all Hispanic families will do quinceañeras, for example. Uh, you know, not and yeah, we mentioned high school graduation, but to your point, it's not it's not a, a ceremony where we're we're welcoming you into adulthood. Mm-hmm. It, to your point, we're just saying you graduated high school, you finished high school. Um, it used that used to mean something, you know. Sure. Yeah. In in our country, a lot of people didn't go beyond high school, uh, and so graduating from high school was a was a big kind of a ceremony, um, and it was you graduated high school and you were going off into the workforce. And I think I think maybe at one point, maybe at one point it it had more of an air of a rite of passage into adulthood, but I don't think it I don't think it holds that today. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's much watered down. I think generally speaking, we don't have rites of passage. I mean, different groups might have rites of passages that, that people go through. I, I think this is a particular problem that is, is um, really affects male youths in the country. I think more so than it affects female uh, youths in the country. Um, you, you know, quite honestly, all women go through, a certain type of rite of passage um, as they go from childhood into adulthood. And that, and I, I know there are going to be some people that are going to hear and go, well, hey, this is ridiculous, right? But it's they, okay. they, they, they do have their first period, right? And, right? and that's something that is tend to, I don't want to say celebrate necessarily with mom, but it, it can be more of a bonding moment with mom. No, as mom but teaches it is. You and, 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 and I've even heard that before. I mean, it, it is, you know, welcome to being a woman. You're, you're I mean, a young woman now. You can have children, right? And that, Absolutely. And, and yes, it happens at a very young age. But I but think it's... it's here's, here's the fun... I'm sorry, I keep cutting you off, but I can't help yeah, it. Yeah, I um, know you do keep cutting me <laughs> off. <laughs> it's, it's, you know... We get so ups- we almost get embarrassed by it or or shame it like like it's a bad thing, and I think that's really wrong, and I think that's having a very negative effect on our society as a whole. You know what? You you have your first menstrual cycle. Yep, you're a young woman now. It's time. I'm not saying go out and have babies just because you had your first period. That's not what I'm saying. Right. But understanding that that, that rite of passage for that young lady is happening or has now happened celebrate that and develop from it otherwise we're setting that person up to go find that somewhere else and i'm telling you people will find it and yes i think men i agree with you um i really do think they're going to find some sort of rite of passage in their own life even if they don't want to call it that or recognize it as such 
Well, my, my whole point in bringing up young girls and having their first menstrual cycle is that doesn't happen for boys. Boys don't have a very specific, very defining moment in their maturation that says you're now a man. That usually involves some, some external activity where a father figure will say, will tell them you're now a man. And who knows what that may be? And it's always something different, right? Every single girl is going to go through their menstrual cycle, is going to have that first menstrual cycle, where they go through that thing, where society, society does say, well, you're no longer a little girl anymore. We still do that today with, with young girls when they have their first periods. But there's nothing like that for young males. There's nothing like that for young males. And, and, and so um, I, think, I think there are male, young men who they're looking for something like that and they go off and they seek it elsewhere. And often when you're, when you're young, you're in high school, high school age, and especially if you're growing up in a very economically depressed portion of town, some of these young men don't have fathers. They have no idea what masculinity is like. And that's part of the rite of passage, right? Because when a young girl has her first period, that's a, that's a growth into femininity, into what it actually means to be a woman now. Young boys don't have that. They don't have that, here's how you be a young man. And sadly, many of them, uh, especially in economically depressed parts of our society, they seek that out, they, they seek that out in other ways. And some of them join gangs where they, you know, they're treated now you're a, you're a member of the tribe and you're now a member here's what and there's this twisted version of masculinity but those young gangbangers are saying you're now a man you're now part of our tribe and that's why this sticks for a lot of young men sure yeah and there's there's been talk about this for a long time you know what what is the attraction for um gangs and and the well we'll just say gangs you know, what's the attraction? Why do people continually get involved in these groups? And there's been a lot of theories back and forth about, you know, uh, economic opportunity or social this or that or the absentee of, you know, X, Y, Z. But I really do think that there's not that transition that's absolutely apparent. And it, it creates a, a, an inner desire. And I don't think even, I don't think men today even know how to verbalize it or recognize it as a rite of passage and how to seek any kind of productive means to satiate that need. So they're going to find it at the most convenient or most available place possible. And in those areas, there are, there's a high level of gang activity that's going to provide that sense of belonging, that sense of family, that transition from old life to new life, that death of the old child and the birth of the man into his new family or new group um and that's not saying that that has that's entirely negative everywhere i mean gangs are, are i'm not going to support gangs by any means but even in um you know in uh, religious beliefs or, or in the faith if you will there's a uh, a baptism or if you mm -hmm. had your baptism as a baby and you go through a confirmation later mm -hmm. on that's the idea as well you're you're leaving your childhood beliefs and rededicating yourself it's it's almost it is a rebirth it's the death of your old life and the rebirth into the church family and now you belong as part of that congregation so i mean that rite of passage the idea the ritualistic idea exists in in a lot of other places um and i think 
and you brought up the father saying to the son, well, now you're a man. Mm -hmm. It's that can be very, very cut and dry, just as, as simple as I said it, but that's also very ambiguous and it doesn't, I don't think that that even will create that kind of um, satisfaction that most people are looking for. No, I don't necessarily, I mean, sometimes it may. I remember the very first time my dad told me that, that, you know, he's, when my, the very first time my dad ever told me, well, no, you know, now you're a man, I think I was 18 years old and uh, a cousin of mine uh, died very tragically and I spoke at his funeral and it was one of the most difficult things that I had to do. And there were probably about, you know, 100, 150 people that were present um, and it was very emotional. He was young and, uh, and I spoke at his funeral and, and I, you know, and I gave a very, um, you know, very nice and respectful, um, you know, speech on his behalf and talked about him and it was loved by everybody that was there. And, uh, you know, that was the very first time my dad actually held me afterwards and said, you're now a man, you know, for having to do that, because that was a very, very difficult thing for anybody to do, but, you know, especially at that young age. Um, and most, most men don't have that. Now, was that a rite of passage? Uh, you know, in a certain kind of figurative way, I think it was, but that's not a rite of passage that people want to go through. Speak at a funeral <laughs> yeah. uh, when you're 18, you know, have, have a, a, a very beloved person in your life die tragically and then speak at their funeral. That's not a really good right. 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 Wants to have. <laughs> um, but I see, I think we're playing, I, th I think we're seeing a lot of this play out today in the news and the media, you know, a lot of the protesters, for example, that are, you know, the black lives matter, whether it's black lives matter or, or if it's an Antifa, um, you know, you look at, at the majority of the people that are out there. Yes, there are some old creepy hippies that, you know, loved it during the 1960s, still have their long ponytails and wearing Birkenstocks. And, you know, they never got out of the 60s and they're still trapped there. Um, and they're flocking to these, these, these protests, etc., wanting to reinvigorate the, the 60s that they, that right. they lost. They're bringing I'm not talking about that. Peace, not war. Right. Signs right. And, oh, wait, wrong sign. Yeah. Hold on. I grabbed right. the wrong you one know, out of the they're, trunk. They're, their long hair with ponytails now all gray. You know, yeah. you know, the one I'm talking about, you know, yeah, all, yeah. that's all gray now and they look like they're on social security, but they're, you know, you know, hello, fellow kids, you know, kind of walking into the crowd. I'm one of you, man. Right, you right. Know. <laughs> you know, I'm not talking about those guys. I'm not talking about those. Right. I'm talking about the college kids, right? The, the, mm -hmm. the ones who are between the ages of 18 to maybe 24. Uh, they're still, they're still in college. Maybe they're in grad school or something. They, they haven't, they haven't had their, their career hasn't started. They haven't maybe they haven't chosen a career or they're still learning for their career. Um, you, you know, they might've had a few part-time jobs while they're in high school or in college. They haven't been out right. there and done anything. Right. Many of these they kids still live at home. They still just rely heavily finished on their, their, their Harvard degree and they're getting their two week internship. Coming. <laughs> yeah. So to speak. <laughs> right. So a, a lot of these young college kids are still very heavily dependent on, on their parents and grandparents. Um, and, and I think they, I think for them going out there and protesting, this is, you know, many of them think that it's amazing to me when I look at generation, you know, the millennial, not so much the millennials anymore. The millennials are now older and they're, they're, you know, they're in the workplace, you know, yeah. I'm, I'm talking about like, you know, what is it? Gen Z now is the youngest one. Gen Z, Gen or is it Gen X? No, Gen, Gen X Z. is mine. I, I, yeah. I'm Gen X. Oh, wait, sorry. Never mind. I didn't mean anything by that. Don't take that the wrong way. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but the, the, you know, the Gen Zers that are out there, right? I mean, I think those are the, the latest ones. 
um, you know, often these Gen Zers, they think that, that, that history began, began in 2000. Um, yeah. you know, they, they don't think that any other, that any other generation has ever gone, has ever seen anything of, of difficulty, has ever experienced anything oh, yeah. difficult. Yeah. No, this is all brand new to all them. They, they, this, nothing like this in history has ever happened before. Right. Nothing has ever happened. And so they, they think, well, all this is amazing. We have to go out there and fight for it. And it's like, there's, all, there's, you know, there's over 200 years of, of history just in this country alone where stuff like this has been going on for a long time. You're not, you're nothing special. Um, but I think they're going out there because they see other people their age going out there and protesting. And there's a certain sense of bonding that happens by right. going out there. It, right? it is. It, it very much is a, its own social family, if you will, its own yeah. social group. And yeah, you, uh, you come up to that line and you have to demonstrate that you are one of them and then they welcome you into the pack into the group and and you become part of that um that society and you've left whoever you were and whatever you were behind and now you're one of us and and it's if if you align with that it's very warm it's very welcoming it feels good i'm i'm with other people that that feel and think the way i do and and um and then all of a sudden things that somebody else might say in that group that would have sounded crazy you know what but i know him he's part of my family yeah i can go along with that and that's how things continually escalate in, in groups like that is because you know they, they it, it feeds off of each other um we see that not just and not just picking on protesting groups i mean uh, we were talking about gang violence you know it gets mm -hmm. it gets worse and worse and worse and worse and worse and it escalates yeah um so yeah it's it's it is in a sense almost a rite of passage when you come out and you find the cause that is going to define you and then you become welcome into that that, into that tribe society that's it you got yeah, it. You, you become welcome into that tribe and they they accept you and and i think we're or i think we're seeing that you know play out in the media right now and there's a sense of you know there's a sense of solidarity among among these young protesters um and even antifa right they have antifa have um flags that they that they wave they have their own logos they're all very communist and socialist but you know more power to them um, you know, they, they, they're, they're all dressed in black and, you know, with their combat boots and their red flags and they're calling for more socialism. You know, they, they think that they don't think socialism has ever been tried, but now it's this wonderful thing. You know, <laughs> socialism sounds great on paper. You know, they haven't learned about the horrors of socialism. They haven't heard, heard about the horrors of communism. Well, and I wonder how much of that is really their fault. I mean, how much have we stripped out of our history books anymore that, that that's not allowed to even be taught? Oh, well, I, I, I absolutely agree. I think, you know, I think a lot of our education system is, is failing our, our, our young students um, by not teaching them about communism and the history of socialism, et cetera. You know, the, the, the hundreds of millions of people that have been, have been killed around the world um, from socialism. But, you know, they found their tribe and they're, they're globbing onto it. One of the things that I think is, is interesting from, from a male perspective um, is the relationship of, of boys becoming men and eventually becoming fathers. Um, and, and I think this is really important, especially in today when we, we hear all, all this talk about toxic masculinity. You know, that's, a, oh. that's a, the catchphrase that we hear off a lot about toxic masculinity. 
and when if if there are a lot of and we see we've seen this in in the black community there are a lot of um single parent families a lot of these youth are growing up uh, especially young men young black men who do not have fathers in the home so they don't have they don't they have zero understanding of masculinity at all they have zero understanding of what that means and they're they're getting they ha- they're going to get it from someplace and they're getting it from from other people that are just slightly older than them and often in some of these gangs and so and so forth um but but a rite of passage especially for young males is a way to show them and teach them and educate them through the entire ritual in even in preparation for the ritual what masculinity looks like in society in that group and when you're when you've passed through it you're going to have to follow these rules mm-hmm. right we are men in this society and we follow these rules and we've established these rules and you're going to be a part of them otherwise we're going to cut you out right. we're going to we're going to ostracize you from our group so you're going to have to abide by these rules we don't have that for young men so young men aren't being taught and and and, and told how to actually be an upstanding male citizen in our society Right. And, and I, I'm, I've heard this, uh, the toxic masculinity issue before, you know, I'm all for infectious max masculinity. I think that men have an inherent desire to lead, to be the strong male. And I think we need to encourage that throughout, I mean, not just, you know, in our own backyards, I'm talking about everywhere. We need men to actually stand up and be strong men. Because a strong man is not going to fall for the kind of petty crap that's happening out there right now. Well, I'm sorry. It, yeah. You, you take it to the, to the gang example that you talked about. That young man, if he was a strong young man, he's not going to be looking to some other kid who just might have been part of that gang for a little bit longer than him to teach him how life is going to be. And I a strong man is going to be the one who actually teaches their son, teaches their daughter even how to think, how to rationalize what it means to be responsible. You know, I I can't necessarily say I had a huge rite of passage in my life. Um, I know for me moving out of my parents' house and into my own place with my wife, that was a big transformative moment for me. You know, that's where I, I had to leave that childish idea behind. And I was immediately shot into being the provider role that changed me for i think for the better right away um having when my wife was pregnant and you you've made reference to this before having kids has changed me as a man a lot mm-hmm. i'm not the same guy i was mm-hmm. I, I i'm not going to go so far as to say i've matured <laughs> <laughs> that's not happened <laughs> but, well. But, uh, as obvious as as evidenced by the Costco or whatever by uh, the Costco fart, yeah. yes. <laughs> <laughs> but that being said, uh, my priorities are absolutely family first. I don't think anybody out there could, knowing me even a little bit, um, would disagree with that. So, what's wrong with that? Nothing. Well, That's the answer. There's nothing in- wrong with it. And keep in mind that when we're talking about a, a, a strong male or a strong masculinity, we're not talking about somebody who's going, who's beating his wife. We're not, we're not talking about those kinds of things, right? We have to preface that now. We have to actually, no, because if right. we don't, if we don't, there are going to be people that listen and say, well, is that, what do you mean by strong? You have to define strong. Do you mean that you're going to come home and beat your wife and beat your child and, and, you know, 
drink a bunch of beer all, all evening long and, and well, demand that she wait on your wife waits on you hand and foot. We're not talking about this. No, things. that the reality of it is that's, that's not strength in masculinity. That's Correct. weakness. Correct. That's insecurity. And that's a need for dominance because you don't have anything that you are in control of in your entire life. And so you take advantage of people that you feel are lesser than you. That's not strength. That's weakness in its fullest extent. I'm talking about the father who figures out a way to provide for his family, even when he's having struggles. Um, the, the husband, who even though that they're having marital difficulties, they be at home, figures out a way to rise up and be strong enough to have difficult conversations with his wife. How do we fix this? Though that takes real strength in to be a real masculine man to actually be able to do that. Beating up on somebody weaker than you is a coward, and that's weakness. That's not what I'm talking about. Right, exactly. And you, you know, going back to joining gangs, right, um, or just falling in with the wrong crowd. You don't necessarily have to be part of the Bloods or the Crips or something like that and be part of a hardcore gang. You could just simply fall in with the wrong, you know, young men can fall into the wrong group of, of other young men. Um, without those father figures around, without those other types of uncles and whatnot who are going to um, perform the ritual of, of integrating you into the masculine form of society, if if young if young boys get are getting caught up in the wrong group of guy with the wrong group of guys, then the lessons that they're learning is that masculinity is really all about aggression. That's mm -hmm. that's one of the lessons learned when when these young men get involved in in gangs or they get involved in Antifa, right? Um, we've seen countless videos. Who who among us has not seen the videos of Antifa threatening people online and and creating videos where they're threatening people? where they're showing others that masculinity is aggression. Well, that's not what we're talking about. Masculinity doesn't mean aggression. And there are parts of parts of our society that are, that, um, you know, that have looked out at masculinity and said, you know what, there is a lot of aggression in young men. And, and so therefore we need to transform masculinity. I think that's where some of this toxic masculinity comes from is people say, well, that, that, that aggressive type of masculinity needs to be changed. And so there's this, there's for several years now in our society, there's been this, this growing uh, call that men have to be demasculinized, so mm -hmm. to speak, um, and become more and, and embrace more feminine qualities. And they have to take on more, more woman-like features and, and modes of, you know, of acting and, and things like that, wearing this similar dress and becoming almost androgynous, so to speak. Well, that's not masculinity either. No. So we can't, so I think that's a, that's a knee jerk reaction to this masculinity is aggression. Let's, the, the, the idea is let's not define masculinity for what it should be in our society as not something that's aggressive, but let's redefine masculinity entirely to something that's not even masculine anymore right and and i'm sorry this this uh demasculinize basically the uh the males in our society is, is almost been pushed like that's something that um all women want and men should be willing to go through i don't believe the premise in that at all 
I, I really don't. I don't think women, even, even the, the quote unquote strong woman who wants to, to go out and be the career woman and, and make um, a life for her own. And I don't need a man kind of thing. I don't really believe that even they really want men to not be masculine. They still want a strong man. Um, they still want someone who is willing and wanting to stand up for what they believe in, to, to be a provider, to be a, a strong supporter of them. They don't yeah. want a, a, a whipping boy. Right. And, and I, I don't believe that for a minute. Right. You know, there, there is a, I'm showing a couple of pictures uh, on screen right now. One is John Wayne in, in a, a John Wayne film. Um, looks like it's a civil war type movie. Another one is a, the, one of the iconic scenes from Tombstone um, where the four of them are walking out to Tombstone for the actual gunfight from the film Tombstone. Um, you, you know, there's this sense that mascul masculinity means aggression. Um, and that's part of what's, what we define as toxic masculinity. But while there is, a, while there is an aggressive nature to masculinity, I think what people need to recognize is it's not about, it's not about overt um, aggression. It's really about being a peacemaker. And so, you know, these two symbols, there are these two images that I'm presenting on screen right now. This is really more about masculinity as peacemaker, as opposed to mascul masculinity as, as outward aggression for the sake of being outwardly aggressive. Um, and, and that was, that was a concept in our, in our society. Um, you know, many moons ago where, and in a lot of different societies where, where men were the peacemakers, they were the ones who were protecting society. They were the ones that were protecting the family and protecting the tribe and protecting the, the family unit, so to speak. Um, over time, we started seeing a, a different form of masculinity, at least here in the States, this is one of my favorites, you know, where, where masculinity became much more, much more debonair. Um, and, uh, uh, you know, here's a picture of Cary Grant, one of my favorite actors of all time. Um, Cary Grant always looked like this. He, you know, he was always in his in a in a suit and in a suit and tie and um, just impeccably dressed with his with his uh, fedora and all that kind of stuff. And 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 that's a fantastic image of uh, of I think of of masculinity, at least here in the United States. Um, I think more men should dress like this, but, but sadly in recent years, we've come to see masculinity as being, as looking like this. Oh my God. Um, these are two really thin males walking a runway, uh, in denim halter tops. Um, masculinity has been destroyed to the point of being almost feminine. No, those, those are, those are bodices. I mean, I don't know what these are. There, there's no, I don't have, might, I don't have any ill will to these guys. These guys are working a job, right? They show up, they say, yeah. wear this. And they're like, okay, whatever. All right, whatever. Um, but, uh, but it's sad. This is what, this is what a lot of our culture has, has changed in order to get away from uh, aggressive masculinity, which is, I, I think is just, uh, is, is sad. No, it is sad. And, and it's, it's, it's disgusting to me. Um, I, I'm sorry. You call me a, a chauvinistic masculine male. Fine. That's cool with me. I don't mind. Um, because men should be men. Women should be women. And, you know, that's going to be changing at some point, too, if we, if we don't allow it. And is that going to be okay? No, I don't think that is either. 
And, you know, bringing this back to the, the idea of a rite of passage without <sighs> during childhood and years, you are trying to, as a parent and as a father, at least in my perspective, you're trying to be pulling some of these other ideas we talked about, a mentor to that young man, to teach him, to instill those values and principles in that person. And that rite of passage happens and it breaks that off to solidify, I have given you everything. I've given you the basis and the foundation. I've chipped away at the imperfections, if you will. And you are now set to go build your building, to build your structure, to build your life based on that. And that's kind of the last gavel fall, if you will, to basically set that in play. And without it, you are, you're sending that young man or young woman even basically out in the world completely aimless, uh, looking for some sort of transformation for them. And what are they going to transform to if you do not have a way to actually set those values and principles in place? Yeah, and I think one of the things that, that um, a lot of people don't understand, especially about young men, is that uh, the nature of young men is to is to in essence always be in a crisis mode young men always exist in a form of crisis because they're you, you know their, their hormones are completely off kilter and i'm not trying to make you know excuses for young men i'm just describing i think what is essentially you know hundreds of thousands of years worth of evolution it's embedded in in young men's dna you have young men who are um, when they hit that age of 17, 18 years of age, um, they're in their, their sexual peak, their sexual prime, right? Um, they're horny as all get out. Their, their, mm -hmm. their genes, their, everything about them is telling them, I need to go make children. I need to make babies. I need to have sex. And that is their driving force at that age. That's part of it. Yeah. Uh, but then another part of that is they're learning how to, come to grips with what it, what masculinity actually means. They have a, a, a massive surge of testosterone that they never had before. Um, that tends to lash out in, in different ways. And it's very easy for young men to become very aggressive and, and to lash out, and especially at society or at others that are around them. Um, you, you know, often young men have if, they have, if they have fathers that are in the home, uh, it's it's very possible that the fathers are working constantly in order to support family. Uh, so then they don't have their fathers around them to, to teach them how to become men and how to integrate into society. Um, and, and so you have these competing modes, young men in high school and early in college, there's hyper competition amongst, amongst men, amongst males to be dominant and to develop these hierarchical structures among among men those hierarchical structures don't exist with women in the same way that they do with men are there hierarchical structures of women absolutely there are but they manifest in different ways than they do with 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 males and so you have these males that are always striving for dominance for for domination over each other as well as trying to figure out where they reside in society and and trying to figure out how they interact with the other sex and so one of the natures of, of masculinity is to always be in this crisis mode. Young women don't have that as much as men. They have it to a certain degree, but not 
but it's not as amplified. It's not cranked up to 11 like it is with young men. Yep. Um, and so young men need this kind of guidance from other adult men to say, here's how you interact with society. Let me, sh- let me at least prep you and teach you the rules to getting you into adulthood. We, they need that. They need that form of guidance so that yep. they know how to channel that masculinity. Yeah, there, there's definitely an, an an absolute need for a mentor, a, a spirit guide, if you will, again, um, or someone to actually help them, I guess, kind of douse the flames of the chaotic bipolarness that seems mm-hmm. to be happening around 17, 18 years of age, because it is, it, it's, it is chaos and then sleep. <laughs> and yeah. that's, that's yeah. the life of a 17 year old man. It, yeah. it just is. Um so yes, they need someone to basically pull them out of the fire and put them on a path. And you know, it sounds like it's almost impossible, but the reality is in that moment, they're looking for it. They're wanting it. They're needing it. Even if they can't admit that to themselves. Um, and I couldn't, even <laughs> when I was at that point, I didn't need somebody telling me what to do. But I really would have loved somebody to show me how to take what I've learned and then become my own man and be successful with it. And that's where I think, that's where that rite of passage absolutely um, still has a valuable place in our society. So I guess the million dollar question is, how do we provide that now in a, in a constructive yeah. way? Yeah, I, I don't know. Uh, and there you know, the part of the, part of the thing is those, those rites of passage are important because there's only so much that a young person is going to uh, look to their parents for guidance. Mm-hmm. You know, there's, there's only so much, um, right. you know, everybody remembers back to when they're 17, 18 years of age and their parents were dumb. You know, we all looked at our parents as being dumb at that at when we were 17, 18 years of age. Um, and so even fathers, I think fathers have a duty to bring, to bring those young males up to a certain point. And it's almost as if the fathers then need to rely on a larger pool of men to help bring that child through adolescence and into adulthood because the, the father's not going to do it all on his own. Right. For some, he might. For, you know, there, are, there are some children where the father will be able to pull that child all the way through adolescence into adulthood alone. Um, but a lot of kids, they rebel from their parents at that age and they're rebelling from also dad. Uh, and, and so it's a natural tendency, but if there were multiple men around that said, okay, we're all going to bring you in. And that's why these rites of passage becomes important because now you have a group of men. It's not just dad. It's not just your uncle. It's not just your grandfather. It's, it's all of these men of society saying, okay, you know, dad's right behind us here. Dad's telling you the truth, but we're all telling you the truth. And we're going to, we're all going to pull you through by going through this rites of passage, this rite of passage. Um, we should have them. We don't have them in our society. Um, and quite frankly, I don't, I don't really expect to see us have one in society. No, I, I, I wish this is one that, that was bugging me. Cause I, I don't have the answer to that question. <laughs> I, I just don't. I can pose the question and I can recognize the, the importance of it, but I don't know where that comes from. I mean, I can point to a handful of, you know, things, whether it's a, a church group or um, um, maybe a fraternity, whether it's a college fraternity or, 
um, an ROTC group, whether, you know, going into college or something of that nature that can provide that and can be fruitful. Um, or maybe you just got a lot of good uncles, you know, who are willing to help you along. That's, that's an idea, but, um, I don't know. We've, we've almost stripped this concept away from our society and shunned it so much that I, I don't know that I have the perfect answer for that. And, and see, I don't think it's things like fraternities in school or, you know, joining the Boy Scouts per se. Because while you do go through a certain rite of passage in those types of groups, initiation rites, right, you're being initiated into that group. That's a lot different than saying you're being initiated into society. Um, now, I think, I think where these rites of passage for, for young men to enter into adulthood within society should come from, where I think those rites should come from, it should come from more of a religious bringing. And, and the reason why I say that is because the whole ceremony itself is, is that mythology taken form. It's that mythology that, that is now embedded in physical form in the ritual of the rite of passage itself. Well, what is mythology? Well, mythology is a set of lessons and teachings, et cetera, on how we interact within society. Well, where do we get that from? Well, you know, history shows we typically get that from our religious or belief systems. But our society has been dismantling all of those. It's, it's uncool for sure. kids to go to church. You know, we have, a, we have an overwhelmingly growing number of, an overwhelming growing number of, of people that say they're not religious, but they're spiritual. Right, right. Um, people are leaving the church in droves. Um, they're not going to services, right? Um, there is no sense of, of religion or spirituality within our society that where we manifest that mythology into the real world, into a ritual. And I think that's where, I think that's where it should stem from. Um, but it doesn't, but we're, we're, we're obliterating it. Yeah, no, and you're right. Um, and, you know, I was raised in the church, but I haven't been to church in quite a long time, quite a long time, actually. Um, and one of our, um, actually, my, my son's godfather, um, his son just went through um, baptism. He was rebaptized in the church, and he was 18. Um, and it's been it's been interesting actually since that ceremony happened, watching how he's changed. Um, and so, yeah, that's that's an interesting idea. I guess one that I hadn't really contemplated as being an absolute necessity. But then again, you know, I was baptized when I was a baby, and I went through confirmation while I was still in high school. Um, and I didn't have anything like that. Like for me, it was get out, get a new apartment, get a job, and that was that definitely kicked me out of childhood and right into adulthood but that was by force not necessarily by ceremony you know what's interesting is i think where some of this could could stem in um let me rephrase that i think there's an opportunity for for video games to really manifest in this way and i know that might seem really strange for people um but I'll, I'll, I'll use an example that, of a game that I've been playing for years now. I'm a huge fan of the video game World of Warcraft. I continue to play that game. Um, <laughs> no. Yeah, don't look way. at me like that. Um, <laughs> but there's a, there's a lot of really interesting things about, about World of Warcraft. 
for for example, it has a it, there. There's a large part of it that has its own mythology. Well, it, one, it has a tremendous mythology just in the storyline, but there's also a, a very profound sense of religion um, in the game that a lot of people outside of the game don't realize. And if players of World of Warcraft recognize it right away, there's this, the religion of the religion of the light, and there you can play characters that wield the light. It's it's literally holy magic, if you will. There's there are chapels and cathedrals inside the game. Uh, there was a, a streamer, I'm blanking on his name. I wasn't really familiar with him when I was at the time when I was playing, but um, sadly this past week he committed suicide. Mm. Um, and, um, you know, he grew up in the game. I think when the game launched, he was a teenager. He was like 14, 15 years old. Um, so he's like, he was like 30 years old when he committed suicide. I think he was 31. And what was really interesting um, about that was the way that the World of Warcraft community responded to uh, learning of his suicide um, on all the different servers. And there are like over a hundred different individual servers within World of Warcraft. And most people, people play on a server and there's like this large community of players on a singular server, but there are over a hundred servers. But across all of these different servers, tens of thousands of players when they heard about him, they logged into the game and it didn't matter whether they were Horde or Alliance. They, they, they all um, made sort of this pilgrimage to a location inside the world. In, in, in World of Warcraft, the, the main world is called Azeroth and on Azeroth, there's a city named Stormwind and Stormwind is the capital city of the Alliance. And they're, they're kind of like the, the human good guys. But the Horde, who are the, the enemies of the Alliance, they all came too. So all these players all came to the cathedral, to the cathedral that's inside Stormwind. Um, and by the boatloads, I mean, just hundreds of hundreds of people, for some strange reason, I don't, there wasn't, a, there, it wasn't like all of these players were, were texting everybody that said, you know, you have thousands of people worldwide and everybody logged in and their first thought was, let's go and pay our respects inside the cathedral. Um, and they did. So you had people from both of the opposing faction, you know, the two opposing factions, and there are screenshots where there are thousands of characters crammed inside the cathedral in Stormwind to pay their respects to this, this streamer. Um, it's not a rite of passage. Well, it is sort of, I guess, a rite of passage. It was a, it was a rite that these video gamers in having a relationship with him through the video game of World of Warcraft, they sent him onto you know the great beyond by going to the cathedral, and I thought that was really interesting. I even logged in after work later that evening just to see, and I went to I went to the cathedral, and sure enough, there were a lot of people in there. Um, and wow. what was interesting was everybody that was in there, they 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 walked their character in, they found some space within the cathedral, and then they all bowed, they all knelt down on one knee. There's a little macro you can do called slash kneel and it forces your character down onto one knee and you kind of pray. And, and it was interesting. All of these pictures that I've been seeing, all of these characters are all on one knee. Um, <coughs> so there's a, there's a really cool and interesting sense of camaraderie that can, that can happen with video games, given the mythology that binds everybody together within those games. Well, and I, I, I guess I could see that to a point as far as bringing everybody into that um, family, if you will. Um, whether you agree or disagree with some of the members therein, um, but actually coming together as its own society. Um, 
so yeah, I, I, I could see that as a, as a definitely a social group coming together for one cause. Um, I'm not sure whether that provides a rite of passage on, you know, breaking out of your mom's basement and to go get your own house in your own basement so that you can play video games. I don't know if I'd call that a rite of passage necessarily, but, um, but I could definitely see that acceptance into that social group um, as providing uh, at least some of that kind of guidance for that. I'm going to show you this picture here that I thought was, uh, was really interesting. And this was from, um, this was from inside World of Warcraft. Uh, and this is inside that cathedral that I was telling you about. And all of these, all of these, these people that you can see along the floor, these are all players. All of these are players from all over on this particular server. All of these are players who, who traveled to the cathedral to pay their respects. Here's another shot of some of the, some of the players that are in there. Um, and, and just, you know, there are tons and tons of people. And, and the reason why I say video games can, can might be a way to do this is because there is a mythology to this, to certain video games. Um, there is a religion in, there are several religions actually within, within world of Warcraft. There is a sense of belonging by joining guilds and other player groups within here. And many of those player groups have adults in there and you learn to socialize into the game and into the group by, by joining them. Um, and then there is a sense of, of, I want to say accomplishment and earning your stripes, so to speak, by playing these video games, whether you're winning battles or, you know, it, you know, winning, you know, participating in PVP or in these raids and, and things, you're coming together as a group. So there's a certain type of, you know, I, I'm, I'm bleeding along the side, my, my fellow players within these groups. I think these, I think video games are, a, are, are a, possibility am i saying i'm not saying that video games are currently you know good at rites of passage right now <laughs> but i think it's an interesting way to look at it given current technology and and the you know the establishment of mythology within these realms um and and what happens and transpires within the game so i think there's a there's potential there i think it's an interesting thing to look at here's another shot you can see all of these different um, players that have all, are all congregating in there. It is, it is an impressive display. Um, yeah, it, it, I mean, it really is. Even from somebody who's never played World of Warcraft, I can, I can definitely say it's an impressive display of people coming together um, to pay their respects. And that's, that's, uh, it's beautiful. It really is. Yeah. Um, so I, I'm going to say, I think we've got to turn this one over to our listeners. I'm going to, I think we need to actually put this out there and say, you know what? Um, we kind of came up stumped a little bit this evening, but what are some other positive um, rites of passage that we can provide our youth, male or female, um, to really transform themselves from that um, childlike quality that they had into the adults and productive adults of society rather than allow them to flounder and find something of their own, which may or may not be fruitful. Well, and, and I think there's a challenge with that, right? And, and I think the challenge of that is um, what do we mean when we say society? Because if we talk about the larger society, um, as I mentioned before, you're, you're technically an adult at 18. You can go to prison if you commit a crime, you know, commit a felony. You, you go to adult prison uh, if you, yeah. as long as you're 18. 
but yet there's still that, there's still that struggle. You can't drink alcohol. You can't, um, you know, you can own a credit card, uh, and get into debt, but you can't buy alcohol. You can't buy booze. You can't rent a car. You know, there's certain things you cannot do until you're like 25 years of age, but there are a lot of things that you can do. And you, we're, we're, we're basically saying you're now an adult. Here's all the responsibilities of being an adult, but not really. Right. Right. You can suffer all the penalties of being an adult, but you don't get all the privileges of being an adult yet. Right. And that, and so that's, a, I think that's, that's a challenge with any kind of rites of passage, especially if you're trying to do a rite of passage for somebody who's, let's say 17. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, Anyway, no, you're, you're right. Um, and, and I think we've had that discussion before about when you're 18, that's it. I think we should change the drinking age, the firearms age, all the age, 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 age. Um, when you're 18, you're 18 done. As a, yeah. And that's what I think it should be. Um, but, uh, we'll see how it goes. Yeah. All right. You have any closing thoughts before we close this whole thing out? No, no. I think, um, we started out on a little bit of a different direction, but I think this was good to discuss. It's something definitely to, to ponder. Um, and I think it's important. I really do. Yeah, I would agree. All right. Well, I think we about kicked this one. I um, think so. You know, good stuff. So um, I, I, yeah, I'd love I, to throw this out there for everybody. So Whoever gives us the best uh, few ideas, maybe we'll mention them on our next episode if we can. Yeah, sounds good. I think it'd be great. Um, well, as always, you can find all of our uh, all of our shows on YouTube, on BitChute. You can catch our RSS feeds, everything off of FusionUnderground.net. Remember, we're all out there on Anchor, Breaker, Spotify, all that kind of good stuff. Um, Feel free also on Facebook. Remember, facebook.com forward slash AZ Fusion Underground. You can find us on Twitter at the FU Brothers. Um, and send us email, contact at fusionunderground.net. We'd love to hear from you. So, on behalf of Jason Moret, I'm Manuel Ramirez, and you've been listening to the Fusion Underground. Thanks, everybody. Thank you.